This podcast is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is possible only because of listeners just like you. Make a donation today to support this podcast by going online to WBEZ.org. WBEZ, radio for the curious class. From WBEZ Chicago, this is the best of BEZ Talk. I'm Robin Amer, filling in for Jason Mark. Summer festival season is fully underway here in Chicago, and this weekend, Pitchfork Fest comes back to Union Square for an eighth year. The lineup includes experimental goddess Bjork, indie rock staples like Belle and Sebastian and Yola Tango, punk newcomers Savages, and Chicago R&B powerhouse R. Kelly. Now, that last selection has been controversial here in Chicago. In 2002, of course, R. Kelly was indicted on 21 counts of making child pornography for allegedly filming himself having sex with a 13-year-old girl. He was later acquitted, but accusations of his sexual relationships with underage women continued to haunt him, and with good reason. WBEZ's own music blogger and Sound Opinions host Jim Dirigata spent years as an investigative reporter with the Chicago Sun-Times, documenting Kelly's illicit relationships with underage girls, including his annulled marriage to R&B singer Aaliyah, which took place when she was just 15 and he was 29. So Dirigatis was stunned when he learned Pitchfork had booked Kelly as one of its headliners. Did the festival organizers not care about Kelly's past? Or... Did they think you could rightly separate the musician and his music from his alleged criminal past? Now, these were just some of the questions on Jim's mind when he sat down with the morning shift and fill-in host Randy Bellasomo earlier this week. I teach at Columbia College, Chicago. I teach reviewing the arts. And, you know, at some point at the end of the class, we always talk about the ethics of criticism. And I think that there are certain artists that, that not in that tawdry, celebrity way that is the bane of our current culture, we have to be obsessed, you know, with, with the, the, the Kardashian sex romps and all that stuff. But what about when the artist is making art that is in part about the crimes? or the acts that they've committed. You know, Michael Jackson's last two albums were full of songs about him having uh, been indicted, sued for uh, sex with underage boys, and he was consistently attacking the media for for persecuting him. Um, and, and, you know, R. Kelly's art is about a sort of rampant, uh, some would say cartoonish, uh, blown-up, hyper-black male sexuality. And, and and that black male sexuality in his real life has left, you know, more than a dozen young African-American women devastated in his way. I mean, I sat with girls who slit their wrists after a sexual relationship with Kelly, Aaliyah, other women, the girl on that tape. You know, and some of them live, Randy, a mile or two away from where Kelly's going to be on stage. Is that what makes R. Kelly and the conflict we have with him so different than maybe other musicians who have had criminal pasts because yes. the art is about the crime. Yeah, you know, I mean, hey, Chuck Berry, the father of rock and roll, did two years in prison for violating the Mann Act, bringing underage girls across state lines. Um, I don't think that that defined his art. Kelly's art is defined by, in large part, the sort of sexuality that led to these crimes. I, I think that it's hard to separate the art from the artist when the art is about the misdeeds. Now, that's that's my opinion, and I'm not even 100% sure of that. How do we forgive a celebrity who has never asked for our forgiveness, who has been acquitted, but, you know, he was charged on a very narrow 
uh, slice of what the Sun-Times ever reported. We reported that he was a predator, consistently going after underage women, and he was charged for one tape of making uh, child pornography. Um, You know, and and celebrity, as we know, you know, celebrity and and look, you know, the Trayvon Martin case, which you were just talking about is a good example. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, not guilty doesn't mean innocent. Right. By any stretch of the imagination, especially when celebrities involved. The evolution of his music, if we call it evolution, it has just become uh, more uh, rampant with sex and raunchiness since the time. I mean, there is no remorse there. Well, the weird thing about Pitchfork is that it's going to be 18,000 almost exclusively white, very educated musical connoisseurs. Right. They're not his audience. Well, they are. The the new embrace by IFC, the Independent Film Channel, which is funding Trapped in the Closet installments by Bonnaroo, by Coachella, and most of all by Pitchfork, is white hipsters, for lack of a better word, (laughs) thinking that that this guy, who they're either laughing at or somehow uh, titillated by, um, you know, the crimes and the music are hard to separate. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions, which is why what we did on the WBEZ blogs running all this week, it started last Thursday, is a series of interviews. I've talked to psychologists, sociologists, African-American studies professors, uh, fellow rock critics of my generation, younger... um, you know, I wanted to have this discussion. I think Pitchfork, as the most important music publication since Rolling Stone, is taking money from people to present R. Kelly in concert. And R. Kelly's making money from Pitchfork. Yet they're they're a critical journalistic institution. They're not having this conversation. I don't think he can headline a show in Chicago and us not have this conversation. I want to get to your Kelly conversations in just a moment. Pitchfork, we need to say we have asked a representative from Pitchfork to come on the show to discuss their decision to have our Kelly perform this weekend. They have not responded. I know that you've asked for, oh, for weeks a for comment weeks. as well. Do you think that this is is there is there just irony? Is it just for a titillation's sake, or do they really value his music from some sort of artistic perspective? You know, Randy, we're friends a long time, uh, you and I. Um, the only thing anyone can ever say to me that really insults me, you know, you're a critic, people take shots at you all the time, pro and con, is music is just entertainment. What are you getting so excited about? Music is blood. Music is life. Music is soul. I don't think you can just say, hey, we like his music. We're going to present him in concert. What, the, what are you getting excited? Dear Regattas, you're such a moralist. What a pompous ass you are. What do you know? Just give the guy a break. I, you know, the guy broke a dozen young African-American women that we documented. There, there were more, right? I, I don't think you can give it a break. To say that means that music means nothing. That music is no more important to the culture than Sharknado. All right? And I refuse to believe that. You have been called a pompous ass, but never for me. <laughs> never for me. You are my friend. One of the things on the Kelly Conversations, we want to go to a clip. This is from L.A. Times music editor Lorraine Ali. She talks about a sort of disclaimer that some artists get, but for some reason, as we've discussed, he is not getting all the time. R. Kelly, let's listen to what Lorraine Ali says. What's interesting is that that idea of, you know, when people are discussing him, especially when other you know critics are writing about him, of not just even forgetting this, but just not even mentioning it. You know, when we're, anytime like Chris Brown comes up, the first line is, you know, the guy who beat Rihanna, the guy who, you know, and somehow R. Kelly's gotten this pass. And not only has he gotten this pass, he's actually become more famous for it and then jumped off that, springboarded off that and become this, you know, guy who is 
super duper famous, but we've left that springboard part in the dust. Do you think she's right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think a lot of critics, um, you know, uh, ironically, when Pitchfork reviewed the last five or six R. Kelly albums, they were debating the critics when they were reviewing the music, you know, what role his real life, his misdeeds, his crimes played in the music. And yet Pitchfork as a festival, as a concert, as part of the Chicago music community is not having that discussion. Um, you know, if he played the United Center on his own tour, uh, you know, he was acquitted. He has a right to go make a living. And every individual who pays money to see him perform is making a choice, uh, supporting him or not supporting him. Right. Um, I, I think with the festival, people buy into a certain aesthetic for this festival, which is a wonderful community event that the Chicago music community comes together and puts on and and you know savages is playing you know the the most powerful feminists in rock and roll since hole or patty smith i mean this is an incredible group and for them to be sharing the stage with this man who hurt young women you know what are you saying as a festival what are you saying as a journalistic uh, critical institution pitchfork you know that none of this matters not the feminism and not the misogyny it's a great question i covered the trial i saw the sex video i stared at that man every day for weeks acquitted or not i cannot listen to his music and do you think if more people saw the video and were more familiar with the allegations against him they would be turned off or do you think that just people don't care I think that if uh, I think it's fifty-fifty. If some, if more people saw and actually read our coverage, which details the exact crimes, it was not one video. It was not one girl. It was a pattern of being a predator. I think some people of conscience would, if they didn't know before, would be sort of disgusted. But then, Randy, what troubles me even more, and that's why I did this in a form of of interviews, of questions. I don't have answers here, even as a critic, you know, uh, who's thought about this now for twenty years. Um, I think that there are some, you know, there are some people who bought the jailhouse art of John Wayne Gacy. Mm -hmm. Why you would want to own a painting by that man who slaughtered so many young boys and hang it in your wall? You're sick. There's an element in Pitchfork, the festival goers and the promoters, that are promoting this exactly for the wrong reasons, and they're sick. Sick. One of the folks you interviewed says there's a certain brokenness about this man, and I'm wondering if that is part of the intrigue. Listen to Mark Anthony Neal. He's a professor in the Department of African American Studies at Duke. You also get the feeling that as abusive as R. Kelly has been accused of being, that there probably was some significant abuse in his own childhood and background that, that he never a was able to deal with. And I always have this fundamental thing, if we're going to hold R. Kelly accountable, we have to hold a larger society accountable for not protecting young men and girls who also are in these conditions when they're young. You know, R. Kelly is not producing a vacuum. What do you think of that? Oh, he's absolutely right. I mean, we had reported that years ago that he was abused by a man in the neighborhood uh, when he was growing up on the South Side. Uh, it's in his book, Solo Coaster. Kelly writes about this. But this is this horrible modern phenomenon of I'm a victim, so you can't blame me for my crimes. He talks about being sexually initiated by an older woman at age eight. He talks about this incident with an older man. Um, he does not talk about the crimes he's accused of. He does not talk about marrying Aaliyah at age 15. He does not name Aaliyah once in this book, and yet I'm named three times. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, that he's playing this victim card, and he's not talking about the many people he victimized himself. There are many alleged victims that do not need to be forgotten. Do we know anything about them today? Um, 
you know, some of them are still very, very troubled by... There's an interview I did with Charmaine uh, Jake Matthews, who was a psychology professor, brilliant woman, who happened to go to Kenwood Academy with Kelly. She says that she's interviewed women as old as her mother. Now, she's my age. She's late 40s. Uh, who are, uh, you know, women in their 70s who are still haunted by these relationships, by statutory rape, by having been uh, in a uh, wrongful sexual relationship with an older man. Uh, it doesn't go away. These scars are there. These scars are a mile or two away from the stage in Union Park. And I think for Pitchfork being a Chicago-based community festival, not to have thought about that. You know, and, and to think about the young women who who are going to be in the field that day enjoying the music, and then suddenly they're presented. You know, Kelly makes a joke at almost every concert I've ever seen him perform. Hey, you know, I want a woman to come up here and dance with me, but y'all, y'all better be over 18. I don't find that funny when you've been accused of raping 15-year-old women. That's WBEZ music blogger and Sound Opinions host Jim Dirigatis discussing the implications of R. Kelly's appearance at Pitchfork this coming weekend with Morning Shift fill-in host Randy Bellasomo. And that's just one of dozens of important, thought-provoking conversations taking place every week on The Morning Shift, along with the afternoon shift in Worldview. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, drop us an email, send us a tweet, or leave us a post on our Facebook page. We want you to help us set the agenda. The Best of Be Easy Talk is a production of Chicago Public Media. You can subscribe to this and all of our podcasts in iTunes. More information about who we are and what we do is at chicagopublicmedia.org. I'm Robin Amer. Jason Mark will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.